Well, how long did it take you to uh, get dressed today? Did it take you a little bit longer than normal? In fact, my, my big question is, do you spend um, a little extra time on Sundays getting ready than maybe throughout the rest of the week? I have to admit that I do. Uh, I spend a little bit more time thinking about what I'm going to wear on Sundays. And um, I actually pray about it. I actually pray about, God, what do you want me to wear today? And some of you say, John, you need to pray a little bit more because your choice today wasn't your best. But um, I pray for picking out my, uh, my attire because um, when I'm on the platform, I'm very aware of the fact that that I could draw attention to myself. And so I spend more time in my prayer closet than in my clothes closet, if I could put it that way. And the reason why is because through the years, I recognize that it's so easy to put on the garment of pride, the garment of pride in my life. And therefore, I would be pointing you to the wrong person, which is myself, and not to God. And I'll be judged for that. It's hard to be humble when you have to go tell it on the mountain, if we could put it that way. Everybody sees you if you try to then say, okay, I'm not going to go do it on the mountain. I'm not going to be a proud person, I'm, but I'm going to live this quiet and private spirituality. And here's the thing, even in that we can be proud, can't we? Say, oh, I'm not like those people who like to show off spiritually. Scottish pastor Andrew Murray said, Pride can clothe itself in the garments of praise or of penitence. Pride may look like we have it all together, but actually we're naked. We are the emperor with no clothes on trying to rule our own lives. And this is why we are called by, by God in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-7 through 7, to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. If you have your Bibles, please turn there to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-7. through 7, And we're going to, to really ask this question today. What are you wearing? What are you wearing? Are you wearing humility? Humility. The insidious nature of pride is that if I ask for a show of hands, who they think, who think, here thinks that they've like been really humble this week? Right? Nobody raises their hand because we'd all flunk. We'd all get zero on the humility test. Even my confession of praying before picking out my clothes, I'm like, very, like, well, maybe I'm being proud by even telling you that today, right? It's just so insidious. Peeling back the layers of our motivations often reveals selfishness. The world, the world is always searching for, for competence and ability. But as former NFL player and sportscaster Emmanuel Acho says this, ability without humility is a liability. And yet, humility is the toughest clothes to put on each day. But we're commanded by God to do it. And here's the best part. God will actually help us, enable us to put these clothes on. So let's read from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. This short, three short verses today. You can look it up in your copy of God's Word. You can Google it or you can see it up on the screen that we have over here. I'm going to read it for you. Will you please stay with me out of reverence for, for God's Word? As we continue on this one another in series, in fact, we conclude it here in the next couple weeks, but 
First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with what? Humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the what? Humble. And then it says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And God does care for you deeply. He will help you with this and myself as well today. You you may be seated. Clothes of humility make the man or woman of God. Clothes of humility make the man or woman of God. Notice I didn't say humble clothes. We're not asking you to wear beggar's clothes, even though beggars are welcome here and honored here. Clothes themselves have been for far too long being the evaluative piece of one's spirituality. I grew up at a time when when men and even young men wore suits to church. And ladies and and girls, they wore dresses to church. And that was the determining factor of whether you were very close to God, of what you wore. But the truth is that our Sunday best may have only covered up the rest of the week's worst. Our physical clothes were never intended to draw our attention to ourselves, either by being too showy or modest. Clothes are meant to do the opposite. They were to cover up our, our shame and our, our nakedness. Do you know who the first clothes maker was? It was God. God was the first designer and maker of clothes. We read about this in Genesis 3.21, which says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So it was God who first produced clothes. And those clothes are meant to, to cover up our shame and our nakedness. And those first clothes pointed to the fact that something had to die to cover up our, our shame and nakedness. Notice that it was garments of skin, which is implied that an animal had to die, right? An animal had to die to cover up our nakedness. But that sacrifice was temporary until we sinned again. Or the, the clothes became threadbare. And then another animal had to die to make atonement for us, to keep us from being exposed. And that cycle of substitutionary death for our dress did not end for millennia. As one Bible scholar writes, clothing was the original badge of man's sin and shame. Pride caused the need of man's clothing, and pride still reigns in dress. The Christian, therefore, needs to clothe him herself or herself in humility. But catch this, what he says. But the clothes are too expensive. Have you ever gone to a store and you look at the price and go, whoa! I can't buy this. That's the reality of the clothes of humility. They're too expensive. So it begs the question, who would pay for our clothes? Well, I have good news today. Jesus made the payment. And he didn't put it on layaway. 
Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, had to die to cover up our, our shame and nakedness permanently. And, and he paid off our debts at Christmas with his gift, which is the opposite of how we buy gifts and get into debts at Christmas. The, 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 the debt of our sin was started to pay, paid off at Christmas, and it was finally paid off at the cross. As the prophet Isaiah foretold in Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the robe of righteousness. The robe of righteousness. If you belong to God today, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you are wearing the robe of righteousness. God provides us with this. But in order to receive these new righteous clothes, we must be Stripped of pride. We need to take off the clothes of pride. And therefore, I ask this question. Have you been clothed with Christ's righteousness? Have you been clothed with, with Christ's righteousness? Are you wearing them today? See, Jesus traded our sin-stained clothes for his pure ones in God's sight. And this, this trade is what we call redemption, God's buyback plan. Shame and nakedness is what we used to have, and we get purity and holiness and righteousness. And also humility. And this is why we're still to wear these clothes in heaven. Someone asked me, are we going to wear clothes in heaven? Yes, we're going to wear clothes in heaven. We're not going to return to our idenic, unclad state and, and why are we still going to wear clothes? It's because of Christ's righteousness. That's why we're going to be wearing white clothes, even after Labor Day in the new heavens and new earth. This is what Revelation 3.5 says. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. That's a promise for you today. Our clothes in hell will be a constant reminder of Christ's purifying work in our lives. But it starts here on earth. It starts with humility. Humility is not demeaning ourselves or thinking poorly of ourselves. It's not always saying, oh, woe is me. It's not being Eeyore. It's not being a puddle glum. It's, not, it's simply not thinking about ourselves at all. It's actually thinking about Christ. You see, the word Peter uses to clothe oneself is very unusual. And, and it describes as, as an article of clothing tied with, with one knot. It was commonly used for protective clothing. And it was also used, listen to this, for strings around an apron. This reminds of how Jesus took on the form of a servant who would wear such an apron. Remember when Jesus... The night he was betrayed, what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. We read about this in John 13. And so that, that word that Peter is describing here of clothing yourselves links us back to that night, which would be vivid in his memory, wouldn't it, of, of him having Jesus wash his feet. But the word also can also have the idea of like a stole-like or a robe. And so picture this as we put these two together. 
As William Barclay says, think about this. Jesus took the towel, especially putting on the slave's apron, and undertook the humblest of all duties, washing his disciples' feet. So we must put on the apron of humility in service of Christ and of our fellow man. But that very apron of humility will become the greatest of honor for us, for it is he he or she who is the servant of all, who is what? The greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. When you are humble, there's going to be a future reward for that. It's amazing to me the kingdom ethics that God has employed through Jesus. No wonder humility is not only to characterize the relationship of the Christians one to another, but that's what should, should really mark out the church. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to, to learn humility. In fact, it takes humility to learn humility. And the highest lesson maybe that the believer has to learn is humility. As Jamar Tidsbees declares, humility allows new information to correct old ideas and leads us into better ways of loving one another. And we need information to correct old ideas. But it's a choice. Humility is a choice. As the great Charles Spurgeon once said, every Christian has a choice between being humble or being humbled. And I don't like being humbled. Do you? And this is why we must choose to clothe ourselves with Christ's humility. So here's how we do this. How do we clothe ourselves with Christ's humility? The first first way that we clothe ourselves with Christ's humility is to our elders by submitting to them. Clothe ourselves with Christ's humility to our elders by submitting to them. This is what it says clearly in verse 5. Look at what it says. Very beginning of verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And if some of you are saying, well, I'm pretty old, so this maybe doesn't apply to me. Maybe there's someone who's a little bit older today. You know, Ruth and Lawrence Caldwell are coming later on, I'm sure. We all have somebody who's ahead of us. The specific context is to official elders, to, to elders that are in the church. We call, I call them sometimes the big E elders. To those who oversee the flock of God as Christ's under shepherds. But it really could involve any mentor in your life. Elders have a unique responsibility to prepare a house of God for the judgment that now was beginning. If you look back to chapter 4, verse 17, it says, For for it is the time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? One of the roles of an elder is to, to make sure that we are living correctly before God so that we don't face this type of judgment. And so elders must guide us and shepherd the flock, not for financial gain or ego satisfaction, but willingly, without complaint. And instead of taking on themselves more and more emergency powers, right? We're in charge. We're larger in charge. They must become examples of servanthood and humility to the entire flock of God. Like, haven't you found, isn't it so much easier to submit to somebody and follow their example if they're humble and they have your interest at best 
and they certainly aren't lording it over you, so much easier. Now, this is not a call to stay in an abusive situation. I'll just talk. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm still on. Uh, it's not a call if you're in an abusive situation to stay in that. In fact, if you're in a difficult situation, it's time to call on a superior. The ultimate superior God who will bring judgment and free evil. And sometimes you need to call those elders to help with that. I'm deeply concerned, though, that in the big C church is suffering from a lack of elders, both official elders and those ahead of us in the faith, regardless of age. We have a dearth of those who lead by godly example. And I'm concerned that we younger generations are not submitting to them because we believe we know more than them. And let's be honest, maybe in some areas we do know more than them. Or maybe we are not dismissive because the leader has made mistakes or his or her failures deserve cancellation. But we, as the church, are to live countercultural, as Peter taught. The word for submission has the active sense of, of mining the superiority of others and to know of our own unworthiness. We make mistakes, all of us. I know I certainly have. But here's what motivates me to submit to our elders here at Temple Baptist Church. Not just because they're good men, but because of Christ's humility. Christ's humility. I mean, think about this. Remember when Jesus was just a young man? He was like 12 years old. And he was in the temple. We read about this in Luke chapter 2. And he was in the temple and he was teaching. He knew more than is the teachers of that day. And yet, after he was found by Mary and Joseph, um, they had lost him for a little bit in the temple. It says in Luke 2.51 that he submitted himself to his parents. In fact, every human that Jesus came across, he knew more of, right? He knew more than them. He was more perfect. Or he was perfect. There's no such thing as more perfect. But he was perfect. And yet he submitted to them. Clothing ourselves with Christ's humility is not found in the garment just of submission, but also in a second garment. Here's the second garment that we could put ourselves on, and that's, that's service. This is why we must also clothe ourselves with Christ's humility to serve one another. And we do so in the lowliest of ways. Look at verses 5 and 6. Look what it says. As we go on, it says, After you submit yourself to the elders, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives what? Grace. Grace, grace, grace. Amazing grace to the humble. We already learned that the idea of clothing oneself with humility is directly tied to the apron strings of Jesus, who was a servant to his disciples. And we must do likewise. Andrew Murray taught this. It is easier to think we humble our, if we humble ourselves before God, but true humility is, is only sufficiently proved in our humility before God in our relationship to other people. In other words, humility towards men will be the only sufficient proof of our humility before God. Where we don't 
get concerned about our own reputation. This is very important. Think about who you might serve right now. Who cannot pay you back. Or maybe doesn't even know about your service. You're doing it in secret. Think about the person who's given you the most trouble this year. And you say, John, that's not hard. That person's on my naughty list, right? Why don't you go serve them? Think of a tangible way that you can express the love of Christ to them. Is this not what God has called us to do? That's part of clothing ourselves with humility, with humility toward one another. Humility before God is nothing if not proved in humility before men. But here's the thing. That's hard, isn't it? It's super hard. The cool part is that God will help us with this. He'll help us with our humility. He gives grace to the humble. John MacArthur says this, humility creates the vacuum the divine grace fills. The warning is that God will give us help if we're humble, but if we're proud, there's, there's alerts going on. There's alarms going off because God is the sworn enemy of the proud. It says there, he opposes the proud. He's declared war on pride. Maybe this explains why so many on, on a pedestal have been knocked off and have been canceled. Stuart Scott declares, Pride is the pandemic vice. It is everywhere. It manifests itself in many ways and kills at an alarming rate. The question is not, do I have pride? But where is it? And how much of it do I have? We all have a tendency to think too much about ourselves and of ourselves. Pride is not the plague de jour. It plagues each generation. The 17th century Puritan Thomas Watson was a nonconformist who died while praying in secret. And he warned, Pride is a spiritual drunkenness. It flies up like wine into the brain and intoxicates. It is idolatry. A proud man is a self-worshipper. In the Greek language, the words for pride occurred in two different categories. Uh, one group suggests that pride was trying to Stand your neck higher than others, right? So you can just picture that. Straightening and stretching one's neck. In other words, holding your, high, your neck high above other people. The other category in the Greek conveys a blindness. So think about this. As they're, as they're straightening their neck, they're actually becoming blind. They think they can see above everybody else, but actually they're not. That's why pride is a form of self-worship. Prideful people believe they are or should be the source of what is good and right and worthy. And I don't distance myself from that statement. As I was, as I was working on this sermon, the Lord was working on me. I can think of myself as the source of what's good and right and worthy. And no wonder God opposes the proud and gives grace only to the humble. I mean, this logically, arrogant people don't think they need grace, right? They're proud. They don't need God. Humility is so rare and endangered because it's unnatural 
to humans. Only a Christian who has the Spirit of God can learn genuine humility. Praise God that though the danger of pride is greater and nearer than we think, the grace for humility is nearer still because the Holy Spirit wants to work in us, right? This humility in our lives. In practical terms, take every opportunity of humbling yourself before God and men. Accept with gratitude everything that God allows from within or without, from a friend or enemy, in nature or in grace, and to remind yourselves of your need of humbling and to help you to do it. In this way, we will clothe ourselves with Christ's humility to one another by serving in the lowliest of ways. So serve that person. If you ask God this week to help you with this, you will get that opportunity. Submission and service, though, are not the only strings attached to Jesus. In fact, the ultimate way we should clothe ourselves with Christ's humility is this, and it's going to sound weird, but it, it's true. It's this God, we could submit ourselves to God by casting our cares on him. Look at verse 7. Look what it says. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is one of the most beloved but underutilized verses in the Bible. Cast your, all your cares on him because he cares for you. It literally means to throw something upon uh, something else, particularly an animal. In other words, in Western terms, it would be like saddling God with your problems. And he's big enough to carry all of your problems. That is, in fact, an act of humility. It doesn't sound very humbling, but the true Christian attitude is not a negative self-abandonment or resignation, but it involves as an expression of oneself humbling, the positive entrusting of oneself, and more importantly, to God and our troubles to God. It's in a recognition, as John Owen, the Puritan, once said, we can have no power from Christ unless we live in persuasion that we have none of our own. Even Sherlock Holmes once said this, the chief proof of a man's greatness lies in the perception of his smallness. I think being concerned less about ourselves would help with our anxiety. Isn't anxiety like at an epidemic in our society? Maybe it's because we haven't humbly cast our cares upon God and recognized his care for us. This is not a call to be irresponsible. Dr. George Morrison once said, God does not make his children carefree in order that they may be careless. But it is to place yourself before God in utter helplessness, saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to take over. Here's my care. Here's my concern. And we sink down into our own nothingness, and we're meek and patient, and we have this trustful surrender to God. And Peter learned this. I mean, think about some of the known cares as you think about Peter's life. One of the first instances we, we encounter Peter is his mother-in-law sick. And he goes to Jesus and he asks, he asks Jesus to heal his mother-in-law. So if today you have a, a family sickness, that's one of the things that we need to just cast our cares on the Lord. 
Or think about how Peter maybe was concerned about provision and having enough money for his family. And remember when he followed Jesus and went full-time into ministry with Jesus? What did Jesus do to provide for him? He gave him a boatload of fish that they could live off for, for quite some time. And, and then later on in, in the ministry of Jesus, as Peter followed Jesus and, and Peter didn't have the money to pay the taxes. What did Jesus do? He says, go to the, go to the lake, go to this body of water and there'll be a fish and this fish will, will toss up a coin, will provide a coin. Which was such a reminder, Peter's like, oh yeah, I couldn't provide for myself out of what I was such an expert at in fishing. But what does Jesus do? He takes a fish and he gives me a coin. He's casting care, his cares upon the Lord. Or think about the fact that, that Peter cut off Malchus's ear when Jesus was arrested. I'm sure that that was a great care of Peter. He'd be like, oh man, I'm going to get caught. I've, 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 I've attacked essentially in our modern day a, a police officer. And yet Jesus cared for him. He healed Malchus's ear. What a reminder that if we have, we have hurt somebody that, and we're concerned about that, we can take that to the Lord and our cares to him. Or... Maybe we've denied Christ and we're concerned about that. Remember how Jesus reinstated Peter after Jesus rose from the grave? We read about that in John 21. Or think about Peter when he lost sight of Jesus and he was drowning and Jesus reached down and he picked him up. Again, cares. If we have our cares, we can reach out to the Lord God and he cares for us. Peter learned to cast his cares on God like any good fisherman, whether those cares were family or money or hurts or persecutions or missteps. And who did he learn this from? He learned them from Jesus himself. Jesus always came to this conclusion that he could do nothing himself, that he needed to rely on God. Remember what Jesus says? In John chapter 5, verse 19, and a whole bunch of other places, it says, the Son can do nothing by himself. That's the Lord God who said this. Christ's humility shows that we must clothe ourselves with his humility, and we must cast our cares on him. We humans are always trying to run our own lives. Our pride makes us like the God of our lives. And yet, the interesting contrast is that God became man through humility. Through his son, Jesus. Do you want to know the worst gift that you could get this Christmas? And you're saying, well, I can think of some things. Pastor Charles Swindle tells us the world's smallest package is a man wrapped up in himself. Contrast with this with the best Christmas gift, which is Jesus. The Son of God came to earth in another very small package in the form of a baby boy in a lowly stable. Jesus is the Christmas gift that lasts the rest of the year. And it's because of him that we can put on humility each day. 
You see, as soon as we wear yesterday's humility and think we're humble enough, we become exposed and our pride is on display. And this is why we need to practice this, this very practical exercise. Can I challenge you this week and every day going forward, as you're getting dressed for the day, say, Lord, help me to put on humility today. Help me to put on humility today. As you put on your clothes, put on humility. As we heard earlier, Sarah Brent is getting baptized or at the second service. She's actually exchanging her clothes of unrighteousness, being washed and putting on Christ's righteousness for, for us all to know about. And it's humbling. And it's somewhat embarrassing to get dunked underwater in front of all these people. But those righteous clothes are the same clothes of humility that Christ wore on the night that he was betrayed and he washed his disciples' feet. Even though they would betray him and deny him and reject him. And yet he fed them supper. As we know, now partake in this supper, the Lord's Supper, may we clothe ourselves in Christ's humility and our submission service and asking for him for supplication to food. Think about this as you take out these, these elements of a cup and a, a small wafer. Doesn't even taste that great, right? And it's, such a, it's not going to feed you today, but it's, it's a humble reminder of Christ's humility and what he did for you. It's such an important thing. I'm going to call you as a you can take off the top layer of, of this cup and as, as um, we, uh, we ask Greg Watt, Deacon Greg Watt, he's going to come and he's going to pray a blessing on, on the bread.